This is Iron Sports, uh, 95.9, 106.9 West Palm Beach. Uh, we're honored to have Tyler Kepner, author of The Grandest Stage, The History of the World Series. What a perfect time to have you on the show, considering we're in the middle of the playoff season. So, Tyler, thanks a lot for coming on and talking about your new book. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. So you're probably an expert on the World Series, considering you've covered it for 22 years uh, for the New York Times, and you've only missed two games. So that's uh, it's pretty much exciting, and you know we all love the World Series, and you're the person to talk to with this new book that came out. Yeah, thanks. I've always uh, I've always loved the event. Always wanted to be around it, be a part of it. Um, obviously, never you know going to play, but um, just to to be able to witness it and to 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 talk to the participants, um, past and present, for this book and and, and annually for the Times is uh, is really special. Something I, uh, I I really try to cherish. Well, the platform of the World Series illuminates a career. Um, some great players have become even immortals. And it's mentioned, I mean, there's really this one person in one own category, Reggie Jackson. I mean, even in other sports, when you have Brady and Jordan, there's only one Mr. October. Reggie, talk about in terms of how Reggie's career and how, in terms of the, how he's been defined by his postseason and World Series performances. Yeah, he, he embraced that, that, uh, that responsibility, you know, the first World Series he was in, he, he, he was he was hurt. He had hurt himself in the last game of the championship series for Oakland, actually stealing home, um, of all things. And so he was on crutches for that series as the A's won without him. And he always remembered that that feeling um, of of being on the sidelines and, and of how precious it is to get that opportunity. And so he kind of vowed to, to uh, always, you know, take advantage of it and see himself as the um, – the guy everybody had to worry about, you know, to, to kind of believe his own hype and, and live up to it, challenge himself. And he did, you know, he, he loved that. Um, he loved being known as Mr. October. First of all, it's a great nickname, but, but also it just, uh, you know, it, 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 it put pressure on him knowing that people were expecting that. And he liked it because he, he wanted to believe that all the good things that could come from it um, would come his way. And, and they did. And then you mentioned we just saw the captain on ESPN in terms of the series with Derek Jeter and the Yankees. And you mentioned like some people don't just become greater to the performance. That Jeter's numbers, he, he literally you said almost played an entire season, 158 games in the playoffs, was the same as the, his regular season numbers. It's just that he was able to maintain it and in, in those big moments. Right, and that is that itself is impressive, um, you know, because you're not playing any bad teams in October. The the uh, the, the competition is, is really high. Um, but it just, you know, it, it just goes to show you that, um, you know, somebody we think of as being always, always clutch and always coming through, um, you know, didn't always come through and that's fine. He, he came through at Derek Jeter levels, um, in the, in the postseason, And that was, that was great. Um, but the idea that he somehow became this, um, you know, video game sort of guy who could hit 600 or, you know, bat 1000 at will. Um, that's, that's not, that's not accurate, but, but shorthand, you know, the shorthand is how he always came through in the clutch. Well, you know, no, he, he was, he was Derek Jeter in the clutch and that, that was great. He wasn't Superman. Um, he was himself. And, and that's, that's really the best way to be, um, to not try to get outside yourself and, uh, just channel who you are in those moments. Yeah, you mentioned in the book, it was great how you talk about the clutch gene and all those things that come up. And I guess one player who we know in common player in terms of in, in recent times, uh, Clayton Kershaw. I mean, he is you know 9 and 10 in the playoffs, 428 ERA. It's someone who is considered one of the greatest pitchers of all time, who just 
you know, it's had some good playoff performances, but it's just not it's so many bad ones. I think <laughs> take over the uh, good ones that he's had. Yeah, I think he did a lot to to reverse that though in in, in 2020. Um, you know, his his career he got his career postseason record over 500. Now he's 13 and 12. Uh, you know, three and two in the World Series. He's had some clunkers for sure, um, but the Dodgers always asked him to do a little a little more. You know, like he he pitch on short rest a lot. He pitch uh, in, in relief a lot, and that that ended up I think taking a toll on him. Um, you know, I, I think on yeah, he had getting that ring um, was was huge for him as legacy. And if you look, yeah, the ERA is a little high. But another one now basically has a full season of work in the postseason, 194 innings, and the ERA 4.22. That's not what we're used to from Kershaw, but you know he has more strikeouts than innings. Um, he only you know 213 strikeouts and 50 walks. That's still pretty good. You know, a whip just over one. That's pretty good. Um, he's given up a few homers that have hurt him. But uh, I think I think on the whole, Kershaw's had a lot of uh, great uh, performances too. Um, but he has a very high bar, and um, sometimes he, he has he has not uh, he has not gotten a ton. That's true. And we're talking about the postseason, and you mentioned how the pressure you went through all the managerial decisions, and it's like you know I guess baseball is a little bit during the regular season. Managers 162 games, they make decisions. There's games the next day. Nothing's magnified. Football, we talk about should they gone for two, not gone for two, a whole week. So it's a little magnified. And then in the playoffs, then everyone, and then these these uh, managers make decisions that last forever. And you talk about this. You just mentioned about the short rest. You know, bringing starters in with three days rest, uh, bringing starters in relief. Sometimes it works. The Madison Bumgarner the Randy Johnson, and other times it doesn't work at all. Jack McKeon, um, you know, just just go for it with, with Josh Beckett, his young ace in game six. He didn't want to waste any time. He didn't want to get to – he was a New York guy, he did, Jersey guy. He did not want to get to a game seven at Yankee Stadium. He didn't think that was a good setup for his team. So he, he took the uh, risk of bringing back a young pitcher on, on short rest, and, and Josh Beckett uh, was just not – just just cocky and oblivious enough to uh to to go out and do it. He went he went on an inning through a shutout um on short rest. It's it's the last clinching complete game we've had in the World Series and it was nineteen years ago. So that was that was a moment I wanted to spotlight Evan a manager maybe went against what um you would do now, um, as they always try to protect the pitcher so much. He just went for the win and he got it. And then you mentioned like even defensive changes, you know, sometimes managers put people in. It was, and you mentioned the McNamara decision in 1986, leaving Bill Buckner in, instead of bringing in Stapleton. And then the ball goes under, Bill Wilson's hit goes under uh, Buckner's legs. uh, And a decision that, you know, that has been talked about year after year, World Series comes time, you know, bringing in defensive replacement at the end of the game. Yeah, I really wanted to try to get that uh, from a different viewpoint. So I reached out and I was able to to talk with Larry David about um, the episode he did of Curb Your Enthusiasm with Bill Buckner, uh, because Bill's no longer with us. But but, uh, Larry was able to talk about what it was like to have him um, guest star on his show and to be the hero in New York and get – you know, right off on on everybody's shoulders for for making the catch and and what that meant to – to a comedian uh, who's not usually given to the the, the, the sentimental side of things, um, and, and why why Larry David um, felt compelled to to uh, sort of redeem Buckner for a, a national uh, entertainment audience, and, and and he was great. He was great about that. 
And then, you know, there's been just so many great moments. I, I mean, I've been watching it you know, for decades and decades, and I can't go back to the old Yankees and those things. But you did mention about the Babe Ruth. I mean, what's probably one of those talked about shots is, I, of course, there's no video, but the called shot, the Babe Ruth, and whether he really called the home run or didn't call the home run. I like that one. And then you mentioned the Kirk Gibson home run, which was pretty sick, which is, of course, very safe. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was part of the challenge was to try to um, try to write about these famous moments um, that if you're buying the book, you probably know uh, about a lot of the basics. But I wanted to get in some of the stories behind the stories. Right. So like you know, right about the walk that set up um, Kirk Gibson's home run, you know, a, a walk by Dennis Eckersley, who never walked anyone uh, to a 196 hitter. Um, named Mike Davis uh, that, that set that all up. You know, if he had just gotten Mike Davis, I didn't even had a face Gibson at all because the game would have been over. So um, those are the kinds of stories I was drawn to to, to try to to try to tell people some things that um, you know maybe they heard about at the time and 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 didn't didn't remember or or just to explain uh, explain some things they they do. And then, I mean, some of the most famous moments, I mean, the George Bush, you, you brought that about when he came in 2001 after the 9-11 coming out to the World Series and throwing the perfect pitch. And, and I forgot that Posada was not the catcher there at the time. You said one of the other Yankee backup, backup catchers actually came out for that. Um, but there was just other moments about who throws the first pitch out and how that's done. I mean, I, I saw Vince Scully when he came out for the first pitch. That was pretty exciting, too. So it's like that, that whole ceremony around the game is, is very neat. I, I really wanted to have some space there at the back to, of the book to uh, explore some of that, the, the, the ceremonial stuff, um, because to me it's, it's, it's not just about the, the games itself and the strategies, it's about everything that goes along with it. So you know, to talk to uh, the, the uh, country singer Charlie Pride before he died about um, you know, singing the national anthem in, in four different decades and how he, he, how he went about it and, and, and to get into some of those um, you know, first pitches like talking to Todd Green, the Yankees backup catcher who, who caught the pitch from President Bush. Um, that was uh, that was cool too. I think I, I hope people enjoy that 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 part of it. Oh, and you gave us so many lists, the list of the your World Series team. You said there were so many Yankees that you had to create two teams, the World Series team and the Yankees team. And I liked your list where you listed some of these players that never played in the World Series, the Ken Griffey Juniors, the Frank Thomases, Rod Crew, some current players that you know never played in the World Series. Yeah, it just shows you how special it, it is. I mean, I remember talking with with a pitcher named Marty Bystrom from the Phillies in the early '80s, and and he, you know, did not have a very long career at all, but he got to go to he got to play in two World Series, and and when he played for the Yankees, uh, he was teammates with Phil Necro, who was in his mid 40s and and never got to do it. So that really, um, yeah, that really pointed out to Marty um, just how special it is to to get that chance because so many of the all-time greats, uh, you know, Roy Halladay, Edgar Martinez, Sammy Sosa, you know, Ernie Banks, so many of them never did. And then I'm sure a lot of controversy will be with you listed the best World Series. The number one was, I remember, and this is tremendous, I mean, John, Jack Morris, John Smoltz, 91, Twins over Braves. Uh, and then you've mentioned, of course, Reds and Red Sox. Just talk about how you put this ranking. I mean, there's, of course, so many great series, but, but in terms of the Twins and Braves being ranked number one in your mind. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's it's totally subjective, but I I looked at it um, from a lot of different angles, and and I felt like that World Series had the most um, the the most good games for one thing. You know, some series might have a great finale, but all the games up to it weren't that interesting. Um, it was really really compelling theater all the way through. Great 
fans, um, you know, uh, a, a part of the action there. The Braves had never been in it in Atlanta. Um, the, the Twins had won a few years ago. Both teams were coming off last place finishes, so it was a really surprise matchup. And you had Minnesota coming back to win uh, Game Six on a Kirby Puckett homer, and then winning Game Seven one nothing on a on a ten inning shutout by Jack Morris. Um, just you know, Hall of Famers doing Hall of Fame things, um, and you know, with moments that are gonna that were on their you know plaques in Cooperstown. That's how impactful those those, uh, those games were. Do you think the expanded playoffs, I mean, every year, I mean, it's been going on for, for years. We first had the championship series and division series, and they used to play 154 games and 162 games. They just go 154 games and go right through the World Series. Has it expanded? The, as a, what, how has that affected how we view the World Series with having more playoff games and more playoff uh, chances for team players to do great and teams to do great? Yeah, I, I think it, it is. It, it, it makes it harder for sure to to repeat. I mean, we haven't had a repeat champion um, since the 2000 Yankees. That's the longest stretch in baseball history. Um, there's just too many layers to go through. The miracle really is that the Yankees did, um, you know, go through it uh, four times in five years in '96, '98, '99, and, and 2000, and they almost did it again in '01. So there's just so many opportunities now to to be tripped up. Um, on the way to the World Series title um, that, that didn't exist before, so um, you know I, I think it's uh, it's it's a nice mix um, to occasionally have different teams that kind of get hot at the right time. Um, maybe it doesn't reward uh, pure greatness as much as it used to, but um, people love it. I mean, you know, if you're a real baseball fan, it's it's hard to uh, it's it'd be hard to say that these playoffs aren't uh, really exciting. Uh, a really exciting addition to what for decades was just the World Series. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I just had, I was at these games and people say, oh my gosh, I love playoff baseball. Of course, it's, it's, so, it's so awesome. But Tyler, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know you're really busy pushing your book, The Grand Estate, The History of the World Series. It just came out this week. It's available online. It's from Barnes & Noble, Amazon, everything. I encourage, I've read the book. It's great. I encourage people to get it. So thanks again, Tyler, for coming on Iron Sports. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me.